Welcome to another Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson. I'm Stan Guthrie. And today, John, we're going to be looking at a new volume from Roger Lundeen, Christ Across the Disciplines. What's that all about? Roger has edited this volume, published by Erdman's. As you said, it's called Christ Across the Disciplines, Past, Present, and Future. And he has assembled an all-star cast of scholars. I can't list them all, but they include David Bebbington talking about history, David Livingston on science. Others include Eleanor Stump, Jeremy Begbie, and so on. So it's a terrific list. I was able to hear, I think, maybe three of these in lecture form at Wheaton College by visiting scholars. They were terrific lectures and they're excellent essays as well. And I would say that I'd love to put this book in the hands of many people I know who are brooding about the state of Christians in general and evangelicals in particular in the academic sphere and the intellectual world. I think that they would find a great deal of encouragement here. What is the basic nut graph of what this book is about? I think it's an attempt to give a multifaceted view of what is happening in the world of the mind, particularly in academic settings in many different spheres, and how that looks particularly from the perspective of Christian scholars. Okay, so give me a for instance. Well, a for instance would be, what is the challenge of science to Christian scholars? So you get the physicist Stephen Barr writing about that and talking about, in part, the challenge of materialism, which is the working assumption of a lot of prominent scientists and a lot of workaday scientists, but not all scientists, and Mm -hmm. whether or not, when all is said and done, when we look at the evidence of the field, are we in disarray? Are the assumptions of our faith shattered? And Barr's answer, unsurprisingly, is no, not at all. That doesn't mean that there aren't some real challenges, but when all is said and done, if one honestly examines the findings of the best science of our time, we don't find that we have to give up any of the core convictions of our faith, of the faith as historically understood over the centuries. That doesn't mean that we don't know more than we did (laughs) 2,000 years ago. We do, and that recasts the way that we understand some things, but there is no fundamental challenge to our faith in the findings of contemporary science. Some of the writers are more concerned with, or at least as much concerned with, challenges to Christians in general, again, and evangelicals in particular, among themselves. That is, not just the challenge from a secular point of view, but you might say internecine <laughs> disputes <laughs> and ways in which some trajectories of contemporary Christian thought may have been unhelpful. But the overall impression that one gets from this book, and this is what I think makes it so encouraging, is of, on many fronts, a really robust engagement of the best of contemporary thought from an unapologetic Christian perspective. What are some of the unusual or unexpected avenues this book travels? Well, let me 
highlight one essay that I found particularly refreshing that is by the sociologist John Schmaltzbauer. It's titled, The Blessings of an Uneasy Conscience, Creative Tensions in Evangelical Intellectual Life. Let me read a little bit. Okay. The most important thing we can do, Schmaltzbauer says, is to mediate between worlds. In our polarized times, few Americans have regular contact with those who think differently from themselves. Now, let me bracket that out and say this is something that I see asserted quite often. Just recently, I've seen a couple people make this argument in particular about evangelicals, that it's a problem we have and that we really need to focus on it as a problem. I have to say that it's very different from my own experience. That is, my own experience is not that I have so little contact with people who think differently from me. And maybe that makes me overly skeptical about the claims that this is such a pervasive problem. But in my own experience, as I said recently online, most lifelong evangelical families I know have at least one child who's not a believer. And that's pretty close to home, and it radiates out from there. I'm a little skeptical that. Nonetheless, I think that the general point that John is making here is important about mediating between worlds. It's still important, even if it's true, that the average person encounters a good deal more diversity in thought than you might guess from this, and bracketing that with my own admission that you know, perhaps my experience is not at all representative in that way. Okay, so yeah. now let me so, go on. So your footnote so far is longer than what you've actually read. Well, yeah. <laughs> go That's, ahead. I have a problem with it. I, I, I do that. You know how it is, Dan. Yeah. I, political scientist Amy Black, who has written for Books and Culture sure. and teaches at Wheaton, you know her very well, mm-hmm. and I admire her greatly, spoke to this issue in Beyond Left and right, arguing that the diversity in the body of Christ makes room for Christians to disagree. She noted that far too many discussions of Christianity and politics end in shouting matches instead of constructive dialogue. Recently, Wheaton hosted a conversation between Sojourner's founder Jim Wallace and economist Arthur Brooks of the American Enterprise Institute. It was a chance to hear two people who have a spiritual common denominator address complicated issues related to economic systems. The Wallace and Brooks did not always meet eye to eye. They were gracious in their disagreement. Finding opportunity for common ground, they affirmed the religious dimensions of economic life. In so doing, they parted company with both Randian libertarians and secular statists. He goes on just a bit farther to say, what can a school such as Wheaton College do? And I would also say, what can a magazine such as Books and Culture or Christianity Today do to foster the integration of faith and learning. In some ways, Schmalzbauer concludes, and this is his last paragraph, it can do so by doing just what it has always done. From Carl Henry in the 1940s to Mark Knoll in the 1980s, Wheaton has thrived amid cultural and religious tensions. If evangelicalism is a multi-generational argument, <laughs> which is definition I love. Mm. It's better than almost all the standard ones. So David Bebbington's who's in here is, this is pretty good too, but a multi-generational <laughs> argument is pretty good. The conversation is far from over. This side of the eschaton, evangelicals should expect no end to such debate. 
As sociologist James Hunter writes in To Change the World, faithful Christian witness is fated to exist in the tension between the historical and the transcendent, adding that there is no place of equilibrium between these oppositions and no satisfying resolutions. In this world, the church can never be in repose. Like the larger evangelical movement of which it forms a part, Wheaton College would do well to embrace its contentious heritage in which it continues to discover the blessing of an uneasy conscience. I think that's absolutely magnificent, and it's really something that bears daily on the work that I do and that I care about, because the quote from Hunter, there is no place of equilibrium and no satisfying resolutions, you might say, oh, that's really grim. What a grim, <laughs> what a grim <laughs> prospect. But it's not, because that's not the source of our ultimate hope. The source of our ultimate hope is in God, and we have a deep and abiding faith that all will work out under his sovereign hand. But how that plays out, as John well says, this side of the eschaton, even among our fellow believers, and not just our fellow believers, but even among the fellow believers who are, so to speak, the same flavor as we are, Mm -hmm. there will not be agreement. That means that while... Yes, by all means, Christian unity is important and much to be sought. And I am constantly looking for every opportunity to affirm what we share with all believers, which which greatly trumps the differences between us. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge the reality of the situation that John Schmaltzbauer sketches so well here. And to see, as he also argues, there is something in our evangelical heritage that allows us to thrive amid these sometimes contentious differences. The flip side of that, of course, is all the negatives that people are very well aware of and that they're constantly listing, and that's real too. But I think part of what he's pointing out is that there's also a tremendous amount of energy and something greatly to be valued in this multi-generational argument. (laughs) And I particularly appreciated the way that he expressed that. 